<clears throat> be reading 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. Change therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his, appointing, at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Well, I used to be a real big sports fan. I love college sports. I love professional sports. I used to get really excited to even watch professional table tennis. I even hated golf until Bobby turned me on to professional golf. I mean, man, I love sports of all kinds. I especially like college sports, but uh, I've kind of gotten away from all sports. I, I try to keep up with the University of Tennessee a little bit. I still watch that. I haven't watched the NBA or the NFL in years. I, I quit Major League Baseball this year uh, because of uh, uh, the political nature of the things they've brought into the game. But all that stuff aside, I still love the sports themselves. I used to even love to watch the after-game interviews. You know the ones I'm talking about, the, the well, it was a good day for football ones, or those that, you know, it wasn't our day ones, those like that. I loved those, or the, the other guys had a better day ones. I used to love to even listen to those. And here's one thing I learned over the years, though. You know, it's easier to call the game when you're standing in the end zone. It's easier to look back and see what you did right and what you did wrong after the game is over. And life is kind of like that. And here's the truth of the matter. You know, we all come to the field to win. But there are times when we have to walk away having lost the big game. Even though we really wanted to win it badly. That's just the way life is sometimes. Sometimes we lose the big game. When we read the passage before us, it is as if Paul is standing in the end zone of life. And it and he's looking back over the game he just played and and he's giving what is the closest we're going to get to the after the game interview. The title of the sermon this morning is The View from the End Zone. Paul's ministry, the 
reality of it is it's in its final stages. He's in prison. He's looking right in the face of an execution that is in his immediate future. He knows his time is up. He's played a good game. He didn't fumble the ball. He wasn't tackled by the enemy. He stumbled some, but he did reach the end zone with his ministry and his faith intact. And he had some words to say that we all need to be interested in hearing. In fact, he spoke some words that could have been used for his very own epitaph. You know what those are. You know the the words that your loved ones put on your headstone when you pass from this life. And I think if Paul could have supervised any inscription, I think he would have chosen the words that he spoke in verse 7. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And he used those three concepts to break down the Christian life. So I want to use those this morning to notice what was so important to Paul as he stood in the end zone of life. And I want us to start with warfare. He spoke first of warfare. You know, we enter the fight when we obey the gospel of Christ. We have to obey the plan of salvation. We have to understand what the gospel is, and we have to understand that for a myriad of reasons. First of all, we have to understand it for ourselves. We have to understand that the gospel is exactly what it says it is. It's the way of life. It's the way to get to the Father through Jesus. It's the obedience that we have to obey because Jesus says it is what it is. It's the faith in Christ. It leads us to repentance of sin. It leads us to confession that He is who He says He is, that He lived, that He died, that He rose again. It leads us to baptism for the remission of sin, and it leads us to a faithful life. But we also have to understand that so we can teach others about it. So that's how we enter into the fight. See, if we don't teach others about it, we're going to be a solo army. (laughs) How many armies have you ever seen that operated on one man? I've never seen one. Really, there are no armies of one. That's a commercial that the army used to have, but there are really no armies of one. You need armies of multitudes. And that's what the gospel does. The words fought and fight both come from the word from where we get the English word agony. You see, in Paul's time, they were used to refer to the Greek games where participants struggled for supremacy. Now, what Paul had in mind was the Greek games where they were wrestling, where they were trying to get the upper hand on one another, and that was very popular in that day. Now what Paul is reminding the readers is that you are believers, and you're not involved in a playground sport. What you're involved in is a battle, and he described it as such. He said this is a battle, and you have to be aware of what's going on. You're entering a battle. It's a warfare. Now, if you're going to enter into this warfare, you have to prepare yourself to engage the enemy. Jude used very similar language when he wrote his general letter. Notice that he encouraged Jude 3. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, 
It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You see, Paul looked back over his life and he could say he fought, he contended, he struggled. That's life. If you're going to be a Christian, you better fight, you better contend, you better struggle. And see, Jude encouraged his readers to put themselves in a position when they get to the end zone, to look back, be like Paul, and say, that's what you've done. They were to earnestly to contend or to struggle for the system of faith which was once for all, according to the New King James, delivered. The whole idea is one is to be active and to be proactive as we fight a good fight. Now, a good fight comes from two words. A good is one word. Okay? And fight is the other. Now what I didn't realize is the word fight isn't just a brawl. Okay? On other occasions, Paul has described the Christian battle as just that. He spoke of the armor that you have to have to put on to be able to be successful and to be victorious over in Ephesians chapter 6, right? And this word can be used in the same way, but within the context, what we're talking about are the Grecian games, right? So how are we going to fight a good fight? He's talking about the games here. You have to engage. Have you ever watched the Olympic games? You know, have these wrestling matches? What happens to the guy that doesn't engage? Well, he loses pretty quickly, doesn't he? He doesn't last very long. So Paul, he had to engage in the immediate context. We have to understand what is a good fight. I've overlooked this for so long. A good fight is a worthy fight. It's when one brings the fight to the opponent. You can't hide. Paul took the fight to Satan. Right? He addressed those who Satan used as his helpers, but Paul wasn't mean and he wasn't ugly. He wasn't vindictive. He didn't try to personally hurt them. Oh, he addressed them when they needed to be addressed. But he went after Satan hard. He was harsh when it came to Satan. He didn't let up when it came to Satan. He was steadfast. He rebuked. He was hard in his war on Satan. You know, he rebuked Peter to his face because Satan was using Peter. But he had his sights on Satan, right? That's what warfare is all about. And then Paul went from warfare and he turned his attention to the walk. He went from his illustration from wrestling to track and field. See, what he had in mind were those who, who were, were required to run long distances if they were going to win the prize, if they were going to be the victor. And as a result, he gives insight into the race we're running. It's our Christian walk. We're all running a race. And that thought is echoed in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. 
The writer says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. This word course, you know what this word literally means? It means career, the course of life. He is reminding the reader we each have a race to run. We have a course of life. If you're a Christian, the course of life is to maintain faithfulness. Now, there are a few things we have to keep in mind about this race in which we run. First of all, it's an individual race, right? We are not competing against each other. If anything, we're competing against ourselves and against Satan. Listen, Satan doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about us. We're collateral damage. He hates God. If he can cause us to lose our souls, then good. But here's the thing. He is not going to be concerned about any of us as He is suffering in hell. He wants to hurt God. The only way He can hurt God is if we lose our souls. He could care less about any of us. We compete against ourselves. Now, we can receive help along the way. But we have to run ourselves. Have you ever watched a marathon? As they run along, people hold out cups of water. They hold out those energy bars or whatever. It, I don't know if it's energy bars, but it's something they consume. And they'll run by and they'll grab the cups of liquid and they'll drink it. We can receive help, but we have to run ourselves. No one's running for us, right? We have to run ourselves. Now here's the thing. It's an individual race. I have to run my race, you have to run your race, right? My race may be more or less difficult than someone else's race. My race may be shorter or longer than someone else's race. If we can help other racers a little bit, let's help them a little bit, right? That's what we do. But we have to run our own races. Paul talked about bearing burdens. That's very similar to what he's talking about here. He told those in Galatia, he said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. There's no contradiction there. There are some burdens we can help people with and there are burdens we have to bear on our own. We have to run our own race, but we might be able to help some people along the way as they run their own race. Paul also said there was a reward as we run a race, right? Right? Those competitors in Greece did all that training 
They did all that competing for a small crown made of laurel leaves. You know how long that lasted? Just long enough for them to dry up. Didn't last long at all, right? They quickly wilted and perished. Now today, athletes, they compete for medals and trophies. And those medals and trophies are made out of precious metal that last, they'll last nearly as long as this world. But guess what? That too will perish one day. Peter warned, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. He said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Paul was looking beyond the winter circle, wasn't he? He saw beyond the end zone. See, he was looking over. He's looking back. He saw what he had done right. And he was happy with what he saw. I think here's what Paul was saying. He said, keep running. Don't wait for people to reward you or to cheer for you, to cheer for your efforts. Just run the race because the winners are named up there. They're not named down here. It's just around the corner. Keep on running. It'll be worth it. Did you notice what Paul called Jesus? Called him the righteous judge. Now the people of the world may not call him that. Paul did. Paul called him the righteous judge. Why? Because he'll reward you for a race run well. So keep running. Keep looking to him. You know, he's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. Paul didn't stop there either. There was one more important thing that meant a lot to him as he stood in the end zone of life. It was important to Paul how he handled the Word of God. He talked about warfare. He talked about the walk. Now let's talk about the Word. First of all, he preserved the message When Paul said, I have kept the faith, what he meant was he guarded it. All these years, all these years, I thought he meant he had been faithful. And then I began to look at that word kept. Oh, he was faithful. That's why he got to the end zone. That's not what he meant though in this. He meant he guarded the faith. He guarded the gospel. That's what it meant to guard, to watch over, to to preserve. As an apostle, he both revealed and guarded the gospel. What things do we usually guard and keep and preserve? Things we treasure and love, right? We We guard our money, don't we? But you know what we really guard? We guard our families. We guard our families, don't we? Above all else. Compare it to this, Acts 16, 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, talking about Paul and Silas, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Same word. Yeah, that's the same jailer that had to guard them with his life. 
had to keep them with his life. And when the earthquake came and he thought they had escaped, that's that same jailer who took out a knife was going to kill himself. And Paul spoke up said, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And he obeyed the gospel. I kept the faith. Paul guarded it with his life. He would rather die than have it polluted. He was not going to allow. to have. Isn't that what he was talking about earlier in our passage? When he told Timothy to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. He warned him of those people who would have itching ears. Don't give in to it. Don't dilute the gospel. Protect it. I kept it. You keep it too. If you want to make it to the end zone. He's been talking about games. How to win. How to get the crown. Keep the faith. You know what someone today who's playing a game would say? Don't fumble the ball. Guard it. Hold on to it. Don't drop it. That's what he's talking about. Guard the gospel. It isn't enough to preserve the message of God in its pristine order. It must be proclaimed. There's a congregation of the Lord's people in Memphis, Tennessee, where Brother John Shannon preaches. It's the James Road Church of Christ. They've got a sign above the exit leaving the auditorium which says the work is out there. That's always impressed me. Every time I've ever gone in there, they've got this sign above the door that says the work is out there. I've never seen that anywhere else. Work's out there, right? Not in here. It's out there. The people out there need to hear the gospel. You know, I tell people that I've preached to people because it, it astonished me when I, when I found this out. It, it still amazes me, but I've preached to people who've never heard the name Jesus before. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I was in India and it was this someone who lived in a coconut leaf hut never heard the name Jesus. I didn't think those people existed in the world. And I tell people that and they just I can't believe that. And I still can't believe it. But it's true. But do you know what's more amazing? And I thought about this as I was working on this sermon. What's more amazing is do you know how many times I've preached the gospel and taught the gospel to people who have never heard the New Testament gospel before in the United States? Multitudes. That is what is astonishing. Do you know how many times you've done it? Multitudes. That's what's astonishing. The work's out there. We need to keep doing it. Through Paul, we can see the view from the end zone. What's it looking like so far? For most of us, well, for me, maybe I need to pick up my game a little bit. How are we doing with our fight in the warfare, running the race in our walk?
in preserving and proclaiming the word. Remember, the work is out there. You need to answer the Lord's invitation. You need to come back to Him through repentance and prayer. Do that as we stand and as we sing.